Hello and welcome to Pop-Up Submissions Live on Historical Fiction. It's a huge, mega genre encompassing historical fantasy, alternative history, historical crime and mystery, and of course, historical romance. The past is a gold mine for creative writing minds looking for settings, events, and characters to embellish their own original tales. But historical fiction is something more than that, too. A poet once said, and uh, top marks if you can tell me who in the chat room, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And in these strange days, it's sometimes good, I think, to look backwards in order to see what may be just around the next corner. Well, here to help me today are three guests, that's right, buy two, get one free, who are very well known and well loved by our regular viewers from Yorkshire. It's dynamic crime writing duo Bob and Carol Bridgestock, yeah! And from deepest Spain, the totally amazing Annie Summerley. So, this is, um, we're streaming live now all over the place. Actually, got an extra destination. This is how you take part if you're watching us live. Um, that's not how you take part, but this is how you take part, if I can find it. Yeah, here we go. Um, basically, you can make a comment on YouTube, we pick it up and show it, on, uh, show it online right now, or on Facebook, or on Twitter. But if you're going to comment on Twitter, you've got to use the hashtag Litopia. We'll find it like that. Okay, so now let's move on to the past. And here we go. Our first blurb of the day comes from Ben. Hello, Ben. Ooh, you're with us live, which is fantastic. We love that. Very, very good to have you on live. And this is historical crime, and it's called A Smooth-Faced Rogue. All about a literary agent, I think. No, it's not. But it is set in Carlisle, England, 1746. This is Ben's blurb. Young soldier Hayden Gray faces a terrible dilemma. Risk being hanged unjustly for the murder of a vicious sergeant or produce an alibi and wreck the deception that offers protection from her past. 4. Beneath her uniform, Hayden is in truth a woman, an actress who first put on male clothes when she stole the clothes of a man found dead in her bed. Assisted by the one man she knows has, who knows her secret, she sets out to find the sergeant's real murderer. Right. Let me tell you uh, about Ben. Uh, my historical crime novel should appeal to readers who enjoy uh, such series as The Crag and Fidelis Mysteries by Robin Blake, published by Seven House. I don't know those, but it sounds, uh, it sounds as if you know your genre really well. The story is inspired by my extensive reading of the period, very good, in particular the role played by women who lived as men. I was so interested in that subject, actually, uh, a few years ago. I, I, I'm sure there's some great books written in that area. History is a long-standing interest of mine. I've worked as a museum curator and in the digitisation of library collections, and I'm currently a reviews editor for Historic Novels Review. I have to admit, I haven't heard of it, but I'm definitely going to research it now. 
I've cut my writer's teeth on a published non-fiction book about antiques, sales date, 15,000 copies, very good, two unpublished novels and several short stories, some of which were published in an anthology. I'm active on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn with some 500 followers and contacts. And we aim to boost that number even further. Let's go astronomical, shall, shall we, with this reading from Robert. A Smooth-Faced Rogue, by Ben, read by Robert. These legs of mine are damn good looking, thought Hayden Gray, stretching them out on the grass. I've always had a fine calf, and the white gaiters do improve the look, much as they're a vexation to keep clean. Hayden was surrounded by mates in the same uniform, and feeling almost comfortable. This route march was a regular routine, and today the sun was even shining. The soldiers of Hayden's patrol were leaning against the wall around a remote churchyard, snapsacks off and muskets stacked neatly in fours. They were eating their morning snack of cheese and hard biscuit, or crouching over tinderboxes to keep out the, of the wind enough to light little clay pipes. Amidst the grey of the stone walls and the green of the great open fields, their scarlet coats shone out boldly. Hayden leaned back and felt the warm sun, and still warmer. A momentary hope that maybe the murder of Sergeant Beatty would yet be laid at the door of the townsman that had been seen on the spot, instead of being blamed on the young soldier who had hated Beatty and had been demoted by him. Yes, it was warm this morning, but you still kept your jacket on. There was the new boy, Edmund, starting to pull his arms out of his sleeves. Don't you think we'd all like to strip down to shirt sleeves? said Hayden. If the army says you sweat, Edmund, you sweat, along with the rest of us. I thought as we were not marching, marching or not, it's a uniform, and a uniform can keep you safe. Edmund nodded, then looked around him at the soldiers eating. One other thing, Hayden, I don't seem to have any food. Is there somewhere I could buy a little bread? You'll not stroll past the rations orderly again. We're doing 18 miles today. It was almost a pleasure watching the confusion on the rich young man's face. I grieve to tell you, Edmund, that your money's no good to you out here. They were looking out at the wind-wracked fields of mossy grass, stretching away, flat as a giant's bowling green. The only movement was the lumbering progression of grey and white clouds across the huge sky. Hearing chuckles from the men with an earshot, Hayden took pity and added, But I've got extra. Come here. Having given Edmund a share of the victuals, Hayden looked back at, along the dull straight road from Carlisle. There was a cloud of dust at the end of the perspective. Something about it drew the eye. I don't like the look of that. Now other soldiers were noticing it. I'll not say a word. I could be wrong. After all, soldiers will look at anything. But Hayden was not wrong. Soon enough, someone nearby said, Hold up, Matt. Look down the road. I reckon it's Provost Constables on our tail. Did you hear that? answered Matt, pulling Hayden's arm. Oh dear, I think you've got a guilty conscience all of a sudden. At least I've got a conscience, you old dodger. Oh, you're the proper young man right enough, but if you will keep going off on your own... The older soldier shook his head grimly. Hayden returned Matt's grin broadly. After all, it was dead easy to paint on a smile. Now most of the soldiers were watching the road, 
and even reducing the level of their banter so as to hear the oncomers' hoofbeats and the jingling of their gear. As they watched, the heaving brown haze resolved itself into six horsemen. Seeing the riders' black cloaks and the dark shade of their red coats, several of the soldiers gave way to cursing. Some poor beggars for the guardhouse. Hey, Sarge, can't we march on and outrun them? This flippant suggestion was solely rewarded with a momentary narrowing of Sergeant Cheeseman's eyes. All too quickly, the provost constables had arrived and were making their salutes to the patrol's commander, Captain Kirby. Corporal Gray? he called. No, I mean Private Gray. Hayden stood, marched over and saluted smartly. Sir? Kirby was decent enough, but he was the oldest captain in the regiment, if not the whole army, so of course... He didn't make these little slips. I am sorry to tell you, Gray, said the captain, that these tip staffs and constables want to take you off the patrol. Nobody seems to care that Charles Edward Stuart is still at large, somewhere across the Scotch border, and may yet assemble another bloodthirsty rabble. Well, thank you for grumbling, thought Hayden, though grumbling is all you can do. Private Hayden Gray, said the leader of the provost men, you are under arrest for the murder of Sergeant Edwin Beatty. We have orders to take you into close confinement. Uh-uh, uh-uh, things are just gonna go wrong. I know it. Uh, let's see the genii. I can say genii or geniuses. They are both equally acceptable, isn't that, isn't that great? Uh, so starting from the top in terms of reactions to the blurb. Um, RG found it confusing. Eva found it interesting. Matt says, okay, um, maybe it is confusing, um, a bit backwards, but great idea. And Jason says, blurb's a little overlong, has more words than need be. I agree it does. Like, for instance, she is, in fact, a woman, has a few extra words, can be tightened up. Johnny, sounds intriguing. Nice twist in the blurb, says James. Woman soldier, 7046. Izuku. Books of women living as men were a bit of an obsession of mine for about a decade, and yeah, I know, I, I'm, that's the only, my only concern, actually. I, I suspect that it's an idea that would have been a lot more commercial ten years ago than now. Jason likes the title a lot. Jen says, hello! Uh, Johnny wants a bit more oomph, um, and James says, not starting in the right place. One or two people are making that comment. Maybe start with the murdered man in bed, and uh, Glenn agrees with that. Um, Jason's asking, is Hayden a common name for that time? I think it's fairly common, actually, yeah. And really great, says Matt. Quite fun idea, but the opening. Mm. What did you think, um, Annie? Well, I, the first thing I thought was actually the title kind of says romance for me. It does, yes. Yeah, so I'm not really yeah. getting the unless it's supposed to be a romance, but it sounds more like it's going to be a thriller or something. Wait, yeah. one second. Right. Um, now onto the writing itself, I think the actual writing's very good. Like there's a lot of um, very good descriptive prose. There's like a lot of nice images, but I do agree with the genius, with the genius room. I feel like it might have not started at the right place, which yeah might not be the very might not be a very helpful thing to hear but there there's a lot of talking about what has happened and it's not until the very last line that something's actually going to start happening because all yeah. of these characters they know each other and they have a rapport and they're you know we, we can see a relationship but i didn't really get a sense of the main character either and it was only at the very end that i was like all oh, right okay something's happening 
Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's all very valid. And our author, Ben, has just uh, flashed from YouTube saying, it is a thriller, it's a thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's his, his chosen genre, but I, I understand it has got a somewhat romantic feel. You know what, there's this, um, there is a name for this. I've been, I've been scratching my head all day. I've even done a bit of Googling, but I can't find what it is. There is a name for... Uh, it's usually a woman who joins the army or and the navy. I actually had a client some years ago who wanted to write exactly about this, about uh, based on true life. I think it was 18th century uh, woman who joined the British navy. And there's a word for that. There's a word for that, and I can't come up with it. I just can't remember what it is. Uh, what do you think, Bob and Carol? I, I actually really liked it. Um, I love historical fiction. Um, absolutely loved it. Um, um, I like the detail. The detail was, you know, it's really important to me because I want to see it as, as I'm reading. I want to see what's happening as well. Yeah. So the detail was very important. Yeah, I agree. It could have started in a different place. Like you say, perhaps the man being dead in bed. But I love the idea of the the woman going to work mm. in a man's world if you Definitely, like yeah. and I probably haven't read enough of it because I'm, it really really excited me to think I'd really like to write, read, you know read more yeah. about it actually actually, that's pretty much what you did isn't it in fact Carol you, you went you know yeah. a few years ago so like, <laughs> yeah exactly worked what in you a man's did, world yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, quite, yeah, yeah. okay so I, we got some I votes felt, coming I felt let down why I felt let down because of the blurb I expected uh, it to come in and really give a punch something that made us sort of sit up remember i mean the, the most important thing is you've got 700 words yes here to actually yeah. grip people yeah uh, the blurb i like the blurb and i thought we're in for a good story yeah? looking at ben's background and everything yes and it seemed a little bit flat to me yes it didn't seem to move anywhere and i agree with some of the other comments online i'd have liked it start to I'd have liked it to start with perhaps the body in the bed or yeah. the, the panic of finding the, the dead man there. Um, and what yeah, totally. Just yeah, to move absolutely. A, a, yeah. A quick, quicker pace. So, yeah. unlike Carol, we'll disagree on this one. <laughs> All right. uh, but I loved it, Ben. Oh dear. But, yeah, I hope we haven't started right. anything here. <laughs> I mean, no, you were doing no, so well as a up. writing duo, and oh no, and then they appeared on pop ups, and it was that moment. Oh no. <laughs> It's been on, it's been ongoing for about thirty years. Now. <laughs> <laughs> it's my fault. Then. But no, I, I mean the, the writing's there. I think yeah. you know, like we always say, sometimes to flip it or start it, you know, revisit it, look at it to yeah. catch the catch the publisher's eye. I mean, because to me, yeah, that's been picked it, up. It, it the geniuses are saying that as well. Actually, it's not. It's it's no. The, the people are trying to come up with the right word. It's not that. Um, Matt says, I think Matt sums it up, actually, just what you've been saying there, Bob. If it's a thriller, it should be thrilling from the first sentence. Don't slow walkers in. And one or two other people echo that comment, too. And uh, Johnny says, quick scent for the counsellors. <laughs> Not for me, for you. <laughs> yeah. It's all um, right, I'm making his tea. <laughs> I, well, you've got, you've got, you've got a hold over him then. Um, this, I think i for the takeaway. <laughs> he's, he's, I tell you what, the word... I, you see, I had, I had a, a client that's very sadly dead now who wanted to write this story, right? And she told me what the word was. And I think it's an 18th century word. It might, it's something like a Johnny or a Johnette or something like that. It's not, it's not... You may not find it in the dictionary, but it was common parlance at the time. And I just, I'm just kidding. Is that a tongue? 
I don't, I don't know. I don't think it was. I don't think so. It's a bit longer. It's than just that. A, there's a book that I read where the um, main characters dress as men to perform on stage, and I think that's what they called them. Okay. Well, yeah. I don't think it's that. But anyway, it'll, it, it's one of those things will come up at some point. Thank you very much, everyone, all three special guests. And thank you, Genie. Um, we've got some numbers for you now, Ben. Let's have a look. He got a 65 there. You're starting the 65. You certainly score pretty high, actually. Um, I wouldn't mind betting. You're probably pretty much in the lead as far as the month is concerned. Because we had a fairly low scoring show last week. But who knows where it's going to go next? Well, I know, actually. I know. We're going to Pete. Hello, Pete. Historical fiction again. The Longest Spring. The Longest Spring. March 1916. Second Lieutenant Alex Ryan is excited to join his battalion in the frontline trenches of northern France. But excitement turns to horror when he accidentally kills his commanding officer. His mentor, the famous war hero Captain Eden, convinces Alex that he'll be shot unless they cover up his terrible mistake. But Eden has secrets too, and when a boy soldier sees something that could destroy Eden's reputation, the cost of keeping secrets becomes more than Alex could imagine. And this is about Pete. As a photographer, I've been working on the outside of other people's books for over 20 years and thought it time I had a go at the inside of one. <laughs> Sorry, you could have taken a nibble on the outside. Now you're going for the uh, soft, creamy centre. I have a passion for research and history and a familial connection with the First World War, so knew this would be the place to start. I'm currently travelling around the Northern Hemisphere in a camper van with a girl, a baby and a three-legged dog. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that's funny, but it's... Bless it's, him. Yeah, exactly. Bless him, yeah. And, um, and he's writing. And he's writing, yes, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and one more thing, which is a fabulous reading by Ali. The Longest Spring by Pete, read by Alison. Dawn, 30th of June, 1916. He's killed a lot of men this morning, but this one, if he does it, will be so much harder. He knows this one. He knows those hands, swollen now and dark with cuts, but he can still remember how they held a pen or a cup of tea. That bruised mouth, creased with dried blood, still holds the remnant of a smile that he's once courted. He reaches out to touch the mouth, to wipe the blood, but stops himself. He mustn't wake them. He looks at the clouds above the sandbanks, warmed and made plump by a hint of dawn. He will be light soon. If he does it, he must do it quickly. He must be sure. If he does it, he must do it well. He looks down at the pistol, turning it over in his hand. The little dents and scratches glint in the half-light. The wooden grip is marked with cross-hatched lines. He watches the pattern it makes in his palm, pinched white, then fading as the blood rushes back into his skin. He can hear the soldiers coming along the trench. If he does it, he must do it now. But it's so much harder if you've known them, if you've loved them. And this one, if he does it, will be murder. The Mule Cart, 4th of March, 1916. Any more for the war? 
yells the cart driver, pulling hard on the reins. Hooves and cartwheels grind against wet cobbles. Alex steps back, too late to stop mud spraying across his uniform. The driver peers out from the hood of a rubber poncho. Where are you off to, son? No chapelle, says Alex. D Company, 12th Battalion, Royal Sussex. Then tonight's your lucky night. I'm going past exactly where you need to be. It's taken the whole day for the train to bring Alex the sixty miles from the coast to Hazebrook. He's supposed to find his own way to the regiment from here, but he's been outside the station, up and down the line of transport vehicles, covered supply lorries, officers' motor cars, and nothing is going in his direction. It's dark now, and raining so hard he feels like he has to take deep breaths just to reach the air between the water. He's soaked and cold. He hoped there would be something a bit more comfortable than an open mule cart. Something covered, at least. There's nothing else going up that far tonight, son, says the driver, seeing Alex's expression. Go on, throw your valise in the back there. He jabs his thumb towards a pile of wooden crates in the cart behind him. Just mind them bombs. Alex doesn't move. The driver laughs. I'm joking with you, son. Those are tins of stew. Climb up. Alex carefully places his valise in the back of the cart, making sure he doesn't touch the crates. Then he climbs up and sits on a bench next to the driver. Don't ever eat that stew, says the driver, hunching over and snapping the reins. That's McConaughey stew in them tins. Eat your boots if you have to, but never that stew. The mules ease out into the flow of traffic and plod along the muddy road. Just come off the ship, have you? No, I've been training in a tap for the last two weeks. The driver stares. He wears an eye patch. The good eye glimmers like a wet billiard ball. Training for what? How to shave? Officer training, actually, says Alex, lifting his chin and feeling for the epaulette on his greatcoat. Second lieutenant. The driver whistles and clicks his tongue as the mules heads down, ears flicking, wet backs like black treacle plod through the town. Slowly the red brick houses make way for flat open fields and rows of poplar trees swaying and hissing in the darkness. On the horizon, occasional blossoms of light, hazy behind the rain, hint at low rolling hills and woods that remind Alex of the South Downs. He thought everything would be more French, more foreign. The driver glances at Alex. How old are you, sir, if you don't mind my asking? I've just turned twenty, says Alex. Although he doesn't see what that has to do with anything. Thank you, Ali. Lots of um, appreciative comments for your reading. Seem to go particularly well um, with with that submission. Um, and I'm actually uh, scanning the genius room now to find any uh, negative comments at all. Uh, I'm not finding any actually. Um, except Galadriel, who is busy breaking the internet now. I don't know exactly what she's doing, but uh, <laughs> there are issues there with the voting, I think, with Galadriel's voting. Uh, I love the start, Glenn, Matt, great opening, Mel, powerful opening, Izuku, confident writing at its finest. Ooh, exquisite. Uh, confident prose, Galadriel, Matt, good point, all kind of voices here, but is it out of the writing? I think both. I think it is, yeah. Um, Johnny, lovely stuff. RG as a whole. I'm not keen on present tense, though. This writer is managing it competently. And Sarah says, great sensory details. Um, and Jason says, agreed. Sarah, I am totally pulled in. Authentic stuff, says Eva. So I don't think... Um, I love to hate that he left us on the edge of a murder, said Matt. So I'm not finding any negativity there at all. Bob and Carol. 
none whatsoever. I, <laughs> I enjoyed this. Um, and credit to him. If he's driving around with his wife and baby in the three-legged dog, <laughs> yes. and, he man- and, he manages- and he manages to do this, then a credit to him. But no, I was captured from word go, hmm. um, and I think it, it's very credible writing, uh, and it, it draws you in, and you, you can imagine being there uh, with the ability, the ability he's got to describe the circumstances. I love the uh, eye that shines like a, a wet billiard ball and the comments like this, but for mm. me, yeah I'd, yeah, I'd read more of this. Yeah, definitely on point. Yeah, definitely. Loved it. Good. Excellent. I, I, I like and the writing craft a lot. I'm, I'm just a, a little hesitant on the commercial bang. I just, you know, I mean, this genre writing, okay, but what I'm looking for as a commercial agent is something that just lifts it a bit out of the genre and gets, uh, gets to the, you know, the national general reader and therefore gets the big bucks. I'm not sure where that is at the moment. Um, but what did you think, Annie? Well, I really enjoyed it. I thought that the prologue or the opening, it was very, um, there was just so much emotion in it. And I think that sometimes people try to write things that are emotional and it just doesn't work. Whereas here it, it just felt like it wasn't even trying. And it, it was very good. And then on the, um, even though we're then starting in a different place, it just, it works. Like you just, the writing's so confident. That's what people were saying. Yeah. And um you just felt like you were in you were in good hands when you were reading the like actual first chapter, and um, yeah, I really liked it. I liked that there was some humour in it as well, um, and I mean it's not something that I usually read, but the I would I would definitely read on. With That's exactly what I was, I was. That was my hesitation about the commercial. Let's just get both both of your opinions there. Both all three of your opinions, please. Um, can you see, can you see the potential market of this uh, being bigger than just genre fiction? Yeah, I, I certainly can. I think it's very. I think it was very fluid, and it just felt. I'm not a lover of present tense, but he just did it, you know, <laughs> and he did it with ease, as though he was living it, and you could almost imagine the writer has been through this himself. Um, you know, that's how we try to write with the, obviously, the detective. He's actually there. He's actually doing it. And, and with all the feel, And it just felt right. It just felt as though he was there. It, wow. it, it tells a very good story. It's historical. So, uh, and I think the marketplace will love it. And it'll, it'll come through the market purely because of the way it tells the story. And I think a lot of people will get behind it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people would, I'm sure, have a dabble uh, and, and, and buy this. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, look, guys. I mean, normally we we find we find the weaknesses and we find the shortcomings and we talk about those, but I don't think we've said anything negative. In fact, I've been the slight naysayer here because what agents look for is easy money. That's what they like money that comes in without having to get out of bed. And it wasn't me who said that. Another agent said that to me once, and that's true. But my goodness, let's look at the numbers. <sighs> wow, Pete. Look at that. You got a 76. You got a 76. Honey gave it maximum marks for craft. I give it good marks for craft too. Wow. This is going to be a high scoring show. Um, well done. Well done, Pete. Goodness gracious. Now we're going to catch up with Bob and Carol. And as is our want sometimes, we have kind of a book of the week. And this week, here's theirs. 
I see that link there. That is actually a link. You, you type that in your browser, book.litopia.com, and you will go straight through to the buy page. No hesitation, please. Just click that buy button right now. RC Bridgetop Vengeance. Oh, actually, there's one slight problem. We can't get it yet, can we? It's the 21st of September, right? Yeah, that's right. It's the fourth uh, outing for D.I. Charlie Mann. Um, and it, it's um, it's actually a, um, a murder at a wedding. So it's a drug-fueled uh, gunman who opens fire um, mm. at a wedding. Um, mm. No one knows who he is. Sounds like real they life. Do, they're not saying. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's the job of Charlie Mann to, to find out who it is. And, you know, is there this a, a random attack or is it a pre-planned assassination? Yes, yes, and no doubt there are deeper implications as well. Deep state issues, corruption in high places, Bullington Club, all that stuff. Yes, I'm sure. All that stuff. Or am I fantasising? Um, that's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's great. And it's the fourth one in the Charlie Mann series. Um, can people just pick it up and read it, or do they have to read the previous three? No, not at all. Um, as with all our books, um, they're all uh, of thirteen of them. They're all they're all standalone. Yeah, all yeah. part of the series. It That's very good. Matter. You know, it, yeah. you can just pick up and read any of them because they're all standalone in terms of the storyline. You know, the um, the murder, yeah. if you like. Yeah, yeah, and um, that's uh, pop-up submissions until now has been the only place that you can reliably and regularly see our dynamic crime writing duo. But that's about to end. Uh, Harrogate <laughs> Library. Something important is happening there on Saturday, the seventeenth of September. What, what tell us about this? Yeah, we do quite a lot of library events um, and uh, events for charities. You know, because we're patrons of a few charities. Yeah. Um, and so we do a lot, and we do we do support our local uh, libraries. But this Very one's good. actually in Harrogate. Uh, it's a free event for anybody who oh, wants to right. come along. Um, it's in the north, whereas a lot of events, obviously, for obvious reasons, are where you are, Pete, um, yep. in the south. Yep. And yep. Um, yeah, and it's, so it should be a really good um, event. We've also got, you know, somebody coming along to speak about narration as well and, you know, how audio books are in it. Are it uh, uh, narrated <laughs> yes uh, if i can say it so yeah Brilliant. so it's a really yeah it should be a really good event absolutely so that's 17th of september it's the saturday it's 12 30 and it's free so um we haven't got a link for you i'm afraid but we have got this link book.lotopia.com and you can pre-order there how nice and hopefully even nicer is submission number three today from Paolo. It's literary historical fiction. That word always gives me slight concern. Well, let's see. And it's called Scary Catty. I want to say Scarletti, but no, it's Scary Catty, Scary Catty. And this is Paolo's blurb. Julian Scaricati's idyllic Bahamas life is wrenched apart when his duplicitous parents abandon him at an English boarding school. Then disappear without a trace he deals with the trauma through violence theft and arson of course that's how public school boys do (laughs) with an emphasis on laundered money but when the funds run out julian is propelled into a harrowing escape to save himself and his girlfriend he must confront enemies find allies and unravel the mystery of why his parents deserted him all right so, um, about Paolo, I work for a rare disease company that helps children overcome growth disorders. 
never come across anyone who's done that before. I've completed lo- uh, so many writing classes here, I can't read them all, actually, but you've, you've definitely been around. And what does that say? It says you're really committed, actually, and that's very important. Uh, my graduate curriculum at ASU included writing courses on humour, travel, food, memoir, and film. I'm a burned-out tennis player. I don't know about burn. I don't. You don't need to be self-critical in, uh, when you're telling, you know, agents and publishers by yourself. Don't you just do that burned out? Probably just. I don't know what, what goes first for tennis players. It's usually the knees, isn't it? I was going to the balls, but it's the knees. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but have since transitioned my mediocre footwork, don't say that, to the family kitchen where I bake healthy bread, make watermelon jam, that sounds gorgeous, uh, homemade raisins and, not even lying, easily best marinara sauce in Phoenix. I might be over to Phoenix soon. I'll travel a long way for a good marinara. Um, Scary Catty is a fictional retelling of lived experience. And if anyone can bring it alive, it's going to be Emily. Scaracachi by Paolo, read by Emily. Cable Beach, Nassau, Bahamas, August 1978. Julian lay prone next to Sasha, hidden in a tangle of sea grape bushes set back from the beach, sandy cheek alongside wet snout as they studied the family. The father doted on his daughter, the mother doted on herself, which left the son who looked to be twelve like Julian, all by his lonesome. Good. Sasha huffed in agreement. The vacationers looked British with skin the colour of coconut meat. A moment later their inflection carried by ocean breeze confirmed it. Perfect. Julian passed on French tourists who pretended not to speak English. He was drawn to Americans with their chiclet smiles and heavy laughs. But Mummy warned that some of them didn't like brown people. But everyone fawned over Sasha. Julian's ace. Blonde bangs made the Afghan hound look like George Harrison in a straw dress and made latching on to random tourists a cinch. Julian dug sand from his ears, flicked sand burrs pinned to his favourite red speedos, then unstuck them from his bottom. Time to make a friend. He picked up a shriveled coconut husk and looked left then right along Cable Beach, making sure Mummy wasn't spying. She often lurked, forcing him to mouse about if he wanted a pal, even a touristy one. The constant dance at Mummy over his having any friends turned his tongue to parchment, like when he's near drowning after getting rolled by a wave and his only thought was for a sip of guava juice. What no one knew, not even Mummy, was that lonely time hurt so much more than drowning. He breathed deep, tossed the husk toward the boy and whispered, Go! Sasha bounded, dutiful as ever. Julian darted after his dog, recruitment on his mind. He plopped on his haunches in front of the boy, draped an arm around Sasha and smiled like an aquafresh ad. Hi, wanna see an iguana? The boy fidgeted, swung pudgy cheeks towards his mother, roasting on a towel. She turned, pink peaked from her untied bikini top. Julian didn't ogle, not today. She blinked at Julian, tilted her head and smiled at Sasha, then said to her son, Go ahead, dear. Everything all right? the father called from the surf. He dipped his daughter in the water like a baby turtle, while her diaper ballooned. Julian needed to move fast. The family reeked of copper tone, would turn into boiled lobsters in a few hours, and then cocoon themselves in the casino, never to see Bahamian son their entire vacation, and Julian would have no one to hang out with this week. He fingered loose a leech on Sasha's leg while he sold the iguana adventure. 
tails long as uh, dragons. Godzilla spikes down their backs and they'd outrun a car if you startle them from a nap. The boy leaned in, eyes bulging. Julian closed him. They're not far. Come on, I'll take you. Julian? Mummy. Crap. A minute later and he'd slip into the bush with his new buddy. No one the wiser. He bit his lip. Here comes another stern talking to her about getting chummy with her just about anyone. Julian? Vieni qui. He winced at hearing Italian. Mummy was serious. She strode towards him in one of her handmade outfits. He sprung to his feet, raced to his mother. Hi, Mummy, they cornered me, kept asking, you know, about the fish market. Julian rolled his eyes. They're so chatty, especially the boy. I couldn't get away. Never mind them, she flicked a hand at the family, combed fingers through his hair. Listen, love, I have a surprise. We're leaving on vacation. Vacation? Julian glanced at the boy. But I... Quickly, Julian, her palm nudged his shoulder. Babbo's waiting. We're catching the last flight. Mummy, Sasha, I'll take care of Sasha. Hurry, love. Julian jumped in the back of Mummy's Mercedes. Babbo turned to face him, his father's brow steamy, armpits puddled despite the AC blasting tinted hair. He handed Julian jeans, shirt and a jacket, but no underwear. Babbo pulled an all-nighter at the hated roulette wheel, but he looked like he played five sets at the hotel tennis courts. Mummy tossed a fur onto Julian's lap slammed the passenger door and threw her hands in the air. Thank you, Emily. And thank you, Paolo, too. Uh, just look at the genius room here. So, um, unlikable um, main characters. All right. So, uh, do we like unlikable main characters? Zuku is very cool with unlikable main characters. It's much more satisfying when I come to like them. Yeah, or invest them. I, I think so. Uh, most of the... Most, a lot of the uh, very, very successful, uh, commercially successful main characters are not necessarily likable people. Um, and RG, don't like the opening paragraph. Some inspired description, says Galadriel. I agree with that, and I'm actually given good marks the writing here. Cutie tell the diaper, Mal, Eva, realistic descriptions, and Eva also says, of course, she, we've got so many uh, polymaths here. Um, that's why they call the genius room. Uh, Eva says the conventional meaning in Italian of scaricati is dumped. Very interesting. Thank you. Thank you, Eva. Um, Johnny, and this, this rings so true for me, actually. Uh, yeah, because, you know, one of the first things that agents or publishers try to do is where, where does this sit? How, you know, where's the, where's the market for this? Where do we physically put the book? But where is the market? And Johnny says, I'm struggling to conflate. 1978 with historical mm. but it might come later then again it is 40 years ago wow yeah what do you think Annie well um, I was a bit concerned about the dog at the very end there because uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're, going, they're getting on this plane and you don't know what's going to happen to the dog no um, so about it being historical fiction, I'm, mm. I'm not sure because this is him as a child. So, like that's that's how I understood it. It's him as a wee boy. So, yeah. if this is in '78 and then the rest of it's going to take place, I don't know. I mean, it yeah. could be. I, I don't think it would. Um, especially when you think of historical fiction, you also think of a specific event or like the setting in itself and there doesn't seem to be anything in particular here I that's know. related to something yeah. happening yeah like I, I can see it more as literary fiction 
and um, since he's saying as well that some of it's based on things that have happened but I'm getting the impression that it might be yes. um, more personal experiences as opposed to like historical events I think so um, yeah I mean if, you know, if I, this I, is Sorry, if this is totally personal, I mean, that, that gives a, uh, you know, a razor's edge as far as I'm concerned. Um, mm -hmm. Let me just point out, wow, oh dear, oh dear, it? Oh, I've lost it. Um, a number of people, people saying, oh, I'm not sure whether it's the right place to start. And, oh, there's another comment there. There's another genius comment there. I've just lost it for the moment. Let's see what Bob and Carol think. Yeah, I agree with uh, the comments that Annie made, but also... Is it the right place to start? Mm. Um, you know, we're on a beach. Uh, we suddenly have the escape, the leaving. But where else did we go? Um, I got a little bit confused. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> sure. You know, you know. I'm glad for the person explained what the title was. Yeah. Dumped. Yeah. But yeah. was it the right place to start? Mm. You know, to me, this we could be looking backward. When it when it was actually dumped, and you know, uh, where did it all begin, or what caused it? I, I'm just not sure. The writing was good, mm, but I'm just not sure. The more it went on, the more I'm waiting uh, yes. to find out something. But no, almost it, like we needed that inciting incident, like bang at the beginning. You know, so we yeah, knew it, where we were going. It didn't grip me. Yeah. In the simple step. terms, yeah. it confused yeah. me a little. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So back to the genius room and lots of lots of very. I mean, just so perceptive comments here. Zuku. Some of this is hard to follow, but I really do love Julian. All this tourist talk. I can see that. I agree. Actually, I think there's the real flashes of good writing here. RG mm -hmm. too slow is pretty much what Bob and Carol say. Too slow. Losing me. Another story that started in the wrong place. Writer can clearly write though. And yeah, this is what I was trying to find you from Emily, our narrator. Emily said, "I thought this was really interesting. Felt quite menacing." I'm picking that up too. So I'm, I'm seeing potential there. Uh, Matt, not sold this is the right starting point. Glenn, trying to work out how old Julian is. Um, and Jason, I'm another. I'm not sure this is. I'm not sure this is the, quite the best place to start either. Didn't get a sense of what's going on. And um, Barbara says, foreign chick me, because Barbara's slightly Swiss sometimes, um, is worried about the word conflate. I read cornflake. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Jen says fictional can, can I just Yeah. Sorry, can I can I just butt in? Um as for the title, um when we when we wrote Killer Smile, was it, we were gonna call it Exodontia. All right. And 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 when we sent it in, um our agent went mm, at, the, at the time. No. Mm. <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah. And being a bookseller, it's like people would pass that. And yeah. I felt a little bit the same with this title, hence why we gave it the low score. Uh, yeah. Because Killer Smile it didn't is much better. It's a, very, it's a great title, Killer Smile, isn't it? it, says did, it did you guys it come up with that? Yeah. Well, well after, yeah. yeah, afterwards. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, it's a great it was title. And it was a. a, a we, know, we tried to be clever. A smile will get you noticed. Yeah. It could it also, can get, also you get you killed. Yeah. yeah. But we tried to be uh, clever in looking for something, but then who's going to know what Exodontia exactly. is? Exactly. Well, the genius room so, does. <laughs> they're the only people. Oh, thank you. You're so clever, you guys. <laughs> yeah. Our agent thought that it would be passed on the bookshelf, you see. So, yeah, um, so yeah that, was, that was my concern about the title, something a bit more, um, you Simplified. know, yeah. simplified. Totally. So yeah. that's what it is. 
Yeah, Killer Smile is great. Absolutely. I mean, I would pick help. up a book called Killer Smile. It's brilliant. Uh, I, I mean, you know, for what is worth, pal. I, I mean, you you did give me you gave me Paul Bowles sort of um, a feeling that um, Sheltering Sky stuff. Paul Bowles. Yeah, I, I I definitely got a very interesting vibe coming through. I'm not sure where to put it. I think that's what a lot of the junior stream was saying too. Uh, the literary thing does worry me because it mostly, unless you happen to be a Booker Prize winner, it means you're not really going to make much money. We do like the money end of it. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, um, let's yeah. let's look at the numbers. Let's look at the numbers. You guys, sixty-three. It's very credible. Lots and lots of potential in this, I think. But it's just it's got to be moved in a particular direction. I'm absolutely not convinced it's literary historical fiction. Uh, and that's possibly holding you back. But well done. This is a good scoring show. What's going on? What's going on? What are you doing? I'm shrieking. <laughs> I'm stealing Carol's wine. All right, fine. Okay. Stealing my wine. Oh no, it's outrageous. It's outrageous. Hello, Claire. I can't wait either. Thank you for being with us. It's so nice when our authors join us live. And this is from Claire. Historical fiction, comma, crime fiction. <gasps> Right up Bob and Carol Street, right up that street. Rabbits and Crows, it's called Rabbits and Crows. And here's Claire's blurb. If you can't trust your own eyes, how can you hope to find the truth? During the riots and bloodshed of the Peasants' Revolt of 1381, that strikes a bell for me. I think that's very timely indeed. You know, sometimes themes and zeitgeists and stuff, just feelings. Yes, I think that's... Uh, it's the right theme for the, the, the present day times we live in. During the riots and bloodshed of the Peasants' Revolt of 1381, a short-sighted woman witnesses her sister's murder. Bess cannot identify the killer, even though they were stood in the same room. With the kingdom on fire and the world turned upside down, she must fight not only for justice for her sister, but for her own precarious future. Let me tell everybody about you, Claire. This is the bit where you get to hide behind the sofa. Um, I have a degree in ancient and medieval history from the University of Birmingham and a lifelong interest in the medieval period. I live in St Albans. All oh, right, OK, so peasants revolt all the way down there, Norfolk, Suffolk, uh, Hearts and so on. Yeah, what Tyler? Uh, where this novel is set. I was inspired to write this book when I realised how rarely short-sighted people like myself are portrayed in historical fiction and the negative ways in which they are sometimes described when they do appear. I've worked in the publishing industry oh, for over six years and I'm currently employed at Hachette Children's Group. Hello, Hachette. Everyone's watching from that. You're an insider, are you? OK, right. Ex extra high marks for insiders. Um, and extra special reading for you from Mel. Rabbits and Crows. Written by Claire. Read by Mel. Chapter 1. I know, as soon as I step through the gate, that I should turn around and go back. Something is wrong. On any normal morning, the cross market square would be packed to bursting with stalls. They would shade the ground with their awnings and fill the air with the clamour of vendors setting up their wares. Today, most of the stalls are gone. 
the June sun is just showing its face above the crooked roofs of the houses on the east side of the square, and its light is interrupted only by the ornate stone cross that stands at the center of the open space and throws its shadow towards me. The rows of shop fronts, which are usually a wash of glorious colors even to my weak eyes, are drab, their shutters closed and bolted. There are only a handful of people in the little square, hurrying to and fro. They give me a wider berth than usual, too far away for me to make out their faces. Those that aren't hurrying are huddled in corners or alleyways, so close together that their bodies seem blended into one. To the south looms the great square tower of the Abbey Church, as firm and immovable as ever. But the crowds of pilgrims who usually trudge barefoot towards the Abbey, through the waxhouse gate on the south side of the square, pausing perhaps to buy a candle on their way to visit the saint, those people are missing. Even the beggars have left their usual post around the base of the cross. And yet, despite the lack of people, the air is full of noise. It hums like a beehive that's been kicked, and it smells as though something is burning that shouldn't be. I should go back. I, of all people, should go back. I turn around, fully planning to return, but as I do, the gate swings open again and disgorges a party of people and horses. I recognize them by the color of their surcoats and the sound of their voices as our guests, a group of merchants no doubt setting out on the next stage of their journey. I step to one side to let them pass. In that small space of time, my resolution to return wavers. What will Alison say when I can't even manage the simple task of collecting the bread from the bakery? I shake my head, take a deep breath, and clutch my basket to my chest as I step out from the gateway. I leave the little square and head north, along French Row. I shuffle my feet forwards as I walk, so that I won't trip over any unseen obstacles. The houses soon close in around me, their upper stories leaning toward each other over the street, blocking out the light. I'm heading towards the main marketplace, the large triangle of open space lined with shops that sits just north of our little square. As I walk, I plan my route in my head. The baker is on the opposite side of the market. I can cut straight across. The bread is already paid for. I only need to collect it. Then I can return home, back to the fleur de lis and safety. But before I can reach the open air of the market, I see swirling movement in the street ahead of me, and the humming intensifies, resolving itself into individual voices. I squint until my eyes are almost shut, and I'm peering through my lashes. This is something I try to avoid doing. I know it makes me look odd, but sometimes I have no choice. The world sharpens just a little, and I see that the narrow street is blocked by a crowd of people. All of them have their backs to me, talking excitedly amongst themselves. They're standing around the stalks, I realize. Can that be the reason for all the excitement? Some poor sinner pinned down for the townspeople to torment? Thank you. I was, I was away. I was with you, definitely. Um, so, just trying to summarise. You can't summarise the genius. It's completely impossible. Let's try. Um, and Galadriel, like the idea of a story set in the Peasants' Revolt, and a number of other people say that too. And uh, Johnny says, in terms of how relevant could the Peasants' Revolt be? He says, yeah, just wait until winter. That's this coming winter. Oh, yes. Let's see what happens. Rise in the streets. Uh, Lex says, I'm a sucker for historical settings, but this blurb double grabs me. 
with a large-scale personal uh, contrast. Let's go. Blurbly's tightening says, RG, no, no need for stood. Like the title and blurb, Eva. Just read about that riot and the history of England, says James. Pretty good blurb, says Sarah. Like the title. Glenn Jason, title intrigues me. Nice atmospheric opening power, says Johnny. Um, Barbara, good reading. Yeah, absolutely, of course it is. Um, James, opens with mystery, keeps you wondering why. Matt, pacing. There's a murder and revolt to get to. I think that's right. It, uh, it's dawdling a bit for me, actually. Um, RG, felt that despite the lack of people, the air is full of noise, would be a stronger opening line. And, um, yeah, there have been uh, rather caustic remarks about English people's teeth, which I'm just kind of completely ignore, actually. Um, and then, is Alison a, a, nine, a 1300 um, sort of name? I, it doesn't sound like it, does it? Um, glad you're not sure about the short-sightedness. I'm short-sighted. Distances are a bit blurry, but I'm no way disadvantaged. I like this, says Johnny, and Mel sold it well. Did you think so? Did you think that was the case, Annie? Hello. Right. I was, Hello. I was, I was muted. Okay. Oh, uh, <laughs> well, I don't know who muted you. No one in their right mind was muted. No, Annie. I muted myself. Oh, you did. Oh my God, that's yes. even worse. Oh. I'm well, still worried, even though I'm, I'm not, I'm not next to the window, but I'm still worried that it's going to get really noisy. Oh yeah, those those, um, those bikers who like to come on the show live. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we we're cool. I think you it. can. You can probably tell from my scores, but I, I love this. This um, the concept. I think I would have just bought it already based on wow. that alone. Wow. And um, I know I, I I didn't give the craft full marks because I felt it was just a little bit slow at parts, but I found it very very immersive. So like I was drawn in. Maybe some kind of books have a like certain type of reader. And I'm definitely the kind of reader yeah. for this. So, you're you're, you're sold, thought, basically. Yes, yes. Fantastic, yeah. <laughs> I thought the, the concept itself, like in the blurb, I just thought that's really good. And I agree with mm. what the author was saying. Like, um, we don't really think about short-sightedness in the past as much. Yeah. Like, you'll think about, maybe you'd think about fully blind people, but you wouldn't think so much about someone who's short-sighted. So I think that's a really interesting place to explore it totally is, isn't it? Yeah. Let's let's come back to the genius room because lots and lots of comments still in the genius room flowing in. Actually, Jason's got quite a long one. You probably can't read it because it says more. And uh, anyone who's actually posting more than a sentence or two, just split into two comments because uh, otherwise we uh, we have to compress the the type and it's completely unreadable. Uh, but Jason says I'm unclear about how short-sighted she she is. You have. These clues like she has to shuffle, but I'm short-sighted. Not so much I have to worry about whether or not I fall over on something. Uh, that's what we would today call legal blindness, right? So if so, then how could she notice so many things? And Emily uh, says, I'm very short-sighted. Definitely resonated with the feeling of disorientation from being unable to see or dangers ahead. Um, and Jason says, name Alison would have come from Alice's son. Alice's son course meaning that alice likely had no husband wow and izuko right if i didn't have my contacts i'd probably bumble around the same as i do now but for actual reason and what do we think about it rc yeah no i'm gonna disagree (laughs) all right (laughs) that's what we like that's why we like you on the show historical fiction you know I, I absolutely love it i'm with you annie um uh, it's the right time and place and 
Yeah, we're patrons for the Society of the Blind, and so there's oh. obviously all different um, degrees of short sightedness, so, uh, you know, um, oh. etc. Um, and so, yeah, um, I absolutely loved it. I think we've got a two pronged effect there because we've got the love of history, and you can tell that comes through in a voice, and you, oh. you've also got the that it's so yeah you're so unusual that you're getting the sh short-sighted and not the fully blind mm. you know that's so interesting for me and i think that this has got great potential yes fantastic I, I the title. do you the agree title. bob this is the crucial question now this is what we all want to hear do you agree <laughs> it was well written the idea is good it just was a little bit slow to me i wanted it to move I'm one of these people that want things to move quickly. He likes uh, action. Yeah, yeah. and I love, yeah. I love the title, I love the idea behind it. Um, and it's there. I just, we knew a lot about the village. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, we know what's that going to happen. Just please get on with it. You know, how many pages? We've, we go back to what I said yeah. at the beginning of the programme. Hmm. You've got 700 words here to yeah. uh, entice, grip people that are reading it. Yeah. And whilst they might like it, and they might like a lot of others, it's got to stick, take a step above. Yeah. So I'd like to see something a little in there that's give it that more of a spark. So for me, yeah. it, it was it was a, a stroll into something rather than wow, yes. you know. Now we can uh, tell I think you're right. I, I need more buy. I need more buy some engagement, definitely, yeah. uh, to begin with. But everything else, I agree with. And um, there's a little bit of a marital advice for you, Bob, in the genius room from Johnny. <laughs> says, oh, I hope there's a good takeaway nearby, Bob. <laughs> exactly, Johnny. Uh, exactly. Johnny, yeah. the answer to that, I've tried them and they won't have a. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. Hey, hey, oh no. Have have we got time for a short story, a little bit of a short story? I think yeah. we have to. I think we have to, right. yeah. Very quickly. Very quickly. A court case. We're talking about uh, eyesight and things. Uh, a true story, many years ago. Uh, we have a witness that sees this man leaving the scenes of a violent, very violent attack on a woman in the early hours of the morning. Um, he, he, he describes the man. The man is arrested. He identifies him. Later, in, back in the day, it was an identification parade. He goes to court. And unbeknown to the prosecution, the man had had two eye operations because he was born almost blind. Huh. But now he had perhaps 30% vision. So the barrister uh, defending his client for this horrific attack questioned his eyesight and said to him, uh, asking him about the operations, which he explained, and his eyesight is quite good. And he says, well, could you tell the members of the jury, just you know, to give an idea, he was, what, 15 yards away from this person, but you could see him clearly? And the answer was yes. And he said, well, in that case, there's a clock at the back of the courtroom. Can you tell us what time it is? So the witness said, yes. Do you really want to know? He says, well, yes. Can you tell us what time it is? So he lifted his arm up, looked at his wristwatch and said, it's 11.15. Oh, very good. <laughs> and, and the, and the defence sat good. down after that. I like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, so you should. It just shows like how that. things work in wonderful ways, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. That's called, that's called poetic justice. Now, yes. let's have a look at the numbers because we are getting to that time where it gets very tense. It, is, it has been a high-scoring show. It's been an extraordinary show. Look, we've got 75 for you, Claire. You're just one tiny little point away from Pete, who's got 76. 
And Ben, you got 75, and Paolo is just two points away from that. So my goodness gracious, mate, it's all to play for as we go to the final submission of the day. It was a great shame. Oh, I had a good time. I think everyone else has too. I hope, hope you have. This is from Amy, Amy Sporton. Historical fiction, of course. And there's a title to conjure with, isn't it? All at once and out of order. All at once and out of order. It's got a slight Jonathan Safran feeling to me. Slight. I never know how to pronounce that uh, that name. Remember Foa? Fear? I don't know. Anyway. All at once and out of order. And this is Amy's blurb. Zelda Mathlead. I think that's how you say it. I'd say Zelda Mathlead believes her promising art career is over. However, when a strange painting pulls her back in time to 1794, a new chapter of self-discovery, loss, longing and love begins. Zelda is taken in by siblings Yvette, the subject of the painting that brought her here, and Bertram, who promised to help her get home. The take-no-prisoners attitude that made her a successful artist in modern day is likely to get her thrown in bedlam in this repressive time. And Amy studied for a Master's in Social Anthropology at Edinburgh and has worked as a filmmaker, editor and museum guide and currently work at a newspaper. I write articles regularly for my blog and that's... Oh, you should have given us the, the link in the... Um, the submission, um, the, there's, a, there's a space on the submission uh, page for links because then what we do is we, we put them all over the place then. Well, and there's a QR code there, but it's, it's not there. So it's DLO here, DLO here, dot wordpress.com. And my work has been published online on Mixodjami, the Drizzle Review, Assemblage, and the C Word. The C Word. You can't say that on YouTube. You can say the F word, apparently. They, they, they like that, but they don't like the C word for some strange reason. I currently volunteer at a literary magazine that aims to champion underrepresented writers, the Selkie, as an events officer. That's fantastic. And what's even more fantastic is this reading from Hannah. All at once and Out of Order by Amy, read by Hannah. We have many deaths in our life, moments in which through action or inaction, the person we were dies. My first death was at 19, on my first day at art school, the moment I realized I could be anyone. That was when Zelda Matilda, the illustrious artist who would shock the world with her controversial fourth plinth and swear on live TV before the watershed was born. Second was at my first major show, Woman Abolished, when I realised how delicious outrage could be. The third swallowed the first two in a single mouthful. If the others were peacefully sleeping away in my sleep, the third was being struck by lightning. I was scattered across a foreign landscape and had finally escaped my promising future. The night of my disappearance began the same as every other night. I stared into the abyss of an unfinished canvas and decided to drink instead. I really thought it was all over. Like an idiot, I thought at 25 my life was pointless because I couldn't create anything anymore. I thought that damn painting had finally killed me. Truthfully, 
I'd started downhill long before I ever laid eyes on it. I was running out of steam, out of profitable rebellion, and I needed something to blame. I was starting to worry. I was getting out more out of art than I gave, more fame and respect than I felt I deserved, the same respect I used to demand. I thought I was tapping into a collective sigh of discontent at the injustices of the world. God, I was so naive. I felt guilty for taking the pain of others and feeling it myself, for taking what wasn't wholly mine and plastering it over a canvas. I thought I had the right because they could not speak for themselves. But with every rebellious stroke, I sprinkled in more and more doubt. I found the painting at the back of a dusty antique shop off Charing Cross. One of those tiny places that just go back and back and back. I remember when I first saw it, I thought the composition a little dull, but then the subject was sort of cute. It was unsigned, which intrigued me. I couldn't understand anyone who didn't want their name in giant letters on everything they made. And it had been torn and repaired. It had to have meant something to someone. It had to have a story. I was obsessed with stories like that. The stories behind the stiffly posed Georgian family portraits and the stage scenes of fox hunts or myths reenacted by noblewomen. I relished the feeling of dousing the forgotten fingers in, figures in neon paint and making some overused point about society. A touching scene of a woman and her children. The painting was ripe for my exploitation. It was less formal than most Georgian paintings, but unmistakably of the time. A dark dining room lit by candles that seemed to flicker in their ornate candelabras. Two children around five or six in age. I liked how their clothes seemed to be made for adults and then shrunk to fit them. A forked yellow ribbon streaked out behind the little girl's chestnut curls like a dragon's tongue and made her seem as if she were about to take flight. Their faces were ruddy, their eyes wide, and their chubby hands reached towards one another with childish desperation. I swore I recognised something in the curve of the boy's smile and felt an overwhelming urge to stroke his cheek. I never thought of children outside of my work. They were an abstract concept to be played with, not anything personal. The piece that made my name, The March of the Child Free, told the world everything I need them to know. And then there was her, kneeling in white satin, staring at me with those eyes I can never forget. She somehow projected sedateness to the viewer and a playful smirk to the children. One delicate hand held the hem of her dress while the other enclosed a small blue book. On her belt hung a delicate gold key bearing an indistinct crest. I think that was a noise of approval there, possibly from Bob. I'm not entirely sure. We'll find out in a moment. Uh, lots and lots. Of, mm, yes, I think it was. I think it was. I thought he's discovered a very tasty takeaway. Um, so we've got <laughs> lots of good uh, feelings here for the title. Mel, love the title. Uh, another vote for the title says Johnny. Uh, Lex says, title invokes others like everything, everywhere, all at once. I'll definitely pick this up uh, to know more. I was thinking along those lines too. Um, and 
like someone also said, that's where my time travel painting went to. Interesting blurb, Glenn. Even not sure I understand the blurb. Archie don't like the blurb. It likes punch. James hooked by the title. Uh, uneven blurb says Galadriel Azuka. Time slip is fun. It is, isn't it? But I'm not quite feeling the stakes or the stakes are high enough for me like the title of the idea jan azuku oh, so yeah. uh, jason this philosophical opening really conjures the first paragraph of diana gabaldon's outlander getting a strong sense of voice in this opening says mal and um then one or two people kind of rewriting it because you can't stop them doing that because they're artists um they're rewriting your opening there amy um which is all for free so you might as well do it uh azuka says <laughs> something that kind of sums up my total feeling really there is voice yes uh, but this goes on too long too much telling too much introspection I felt there's a little bit too much introspection going on there possibly the cost of story a little skipping ahead now Galadriel it's losing me needs a good trim mm. needs less of to be a verb I would keep reading says Mel intrigued despite slow slow start and Argy says sorry it's dull and Sarah drifted as well so I think um, main character seems rather unpleasant. Is that deliberate? <laughs> Could be. Uh, Johnny, uh, it's a lot to open the book with. The authorial voice is well rendered, but what it's saying lacks what Woodhouse calls zip. We need more zip. But what did you think, Bob and Carol? Do you know what? I actually felt like there was quite a... There was a lot in it, but, but it actually was very fluid for me. It actually flowed really well. And I was interested at every point because I'm intrigued as well by things like that, you know, like hmm. pictures and old antique shops and looking back at a story. And so I sort of got it. Um, yeah, I, I, I would definitely read on and I enjoyed it. Did you think it was a little bit too introspective? Because we got a lot of all about me, and I feel I've, you know, and I, 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 for me, that, that slowed it down, but it didn't for you. No, do you, I suppose. If I'm being really, really critical, yes, just that bit. When it was I felt, I felt, I felt. Mm. I think that could have been trimmed. But in other areas, no, I didn't. For me, it actually mm. explained things. Um, yeah, and, and, and yeah, I understood how she felt. So, no, yeah. I, I really liked it. Fantastic. Well, let's see all this marital rift now and see what Bob thought. <laughs> For the sake of being consistent. <laughs> uh, again... For me, ideas there, the concept. I hear what people say about Diana Gabaldon's, you know, through, you know, through the stones, etc. Yeah, yeah. I was waiting for that, for that movement to, to just boost it a little bit to inject more pace, uh, and it just seemed to go on for me. So for yeah. for me, like Carol, you know, Carol might have kept on reading. I'd have put it to one side and then tell me why I need to keep reading, Carol, if you're reading it because it just it just didn't grab me the, the concept yeah. was fine but it just really didn't take me forward i wanted it mm. to but i it wanted didn't. to yeah yeah i i'm kind of in in your camp on that but let's see where you, where you lie annie well i think it has a lot of potential so like out of some of the submissions that we've read today are just almost perfect so you can't really yeah. see what's got potential or not whereas this one even though there are things that aren't quite working I think that it, it could be very very good um, I do agree in some aspects with the Genius Room on how much introspections in the first chapter hmm. I actually thought that 
I, I, I thought it was working against her because in the second part of the chapter we still get a lot of that um, we still get a lot of her as a person I feel like that first paragraph just didn't really do anything so there's one line that I think would be a good place to start since other people have been yeah go for <laughs> it Let, we, we don't mind rewriting <laughs> yeah. the author's hard work let's do it so I thought that the line that um, that damn painting had finally killed me I thought that would be a really good place to start that's pretty good it's cut, pretty good isn't it cut out what comes next and then just go straight to the part where I found the painting at the back of a dusty antique shop yeah because obviously like <laughs> something in between that but I think that that's when she starts talking about the painting, that's when it came to life. And she's also, like, she's using elements of this painting to talk about how she feels about things, like children and everything. So it's not just all description. Yeah. We're still getting character. And that's the one thing that is really, really strong here is the character is mm. very well um, developed. Like, you can yeah. really get the fact that she's an artist and everything. So. Yes, you can. Oh, yeah, I enjoyed that. Yes, yes, I think you're absolutely right. And maybe, maybe I've gone a bit low on the craft. Actually, I think I, in <laughs> retrospect, I probably would have would have uh, raised that a bit after hearing you talk. But there we go. The die is cast, and the genius room. Yeah, Jan says me too, Annie. Yeah, that's great. And uh, they have devolved into uh, well, they're talking about butternut squashes or mashed potatoes. It's never a good sign when they start that. Um, but Lex says the genius room has devolved into a stereotype fu fueled food fight. My work here is done. I can just hear him chuckling away. Evil Lex there. Yeah. All right. So, um, gosh, we need to see the numbers now, don't we? Sixty-nine. Another good score another good score i feel a bit guilty because i'm possibly dragging that down a bit actually but you you should feel very happy with that amy but now let's look at the overall score high scoring show today it's a bit low last week well my goodness gracious me has everyone done well so every single writer today should feel really pleased with themselves actually patted on the Absolutely. back i think you know, yeah we've we've all said some I mean, it's been a great show, actually. Bob, Carol, Annie, and the fantastic Genius Room. Uh, we've had a good time, and we've actually come up with a winner. Yeah. I bet you didn't expect that, Pete. Look at that. Pop-up winner. Well, not just an ordinary winner. Got, you've got a stonkingly good 76, and we've had monthly winners with, with less than that. So you have a very good chance, actually, of, of being the uh, the top-ranking monthly winners, actually. We're only, only the second show of the month, but my word. Um, thank you, Annie. How nice to have you on again. Always it's very special when, when you join us. It's really, really something that I think everyone looks forward to. And Bob and Carol, wow. And well Carol, done, everybody. Carol is only half there now, and <laughs> Bob's, <laughs> he's, Bob's got the takeaway menu out, and <laughs> we'll see what happens. Well, yeah, let's see what. We'll uh, jo join us next week to see the fate of Bob and Carol. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Had a good time. See you next week. Take care.
Right, 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 right.